Um, obviously, I'm not Robert. Sorry. Um, will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for each person in this room. The ones that are staying and the ones that left. I pray we all find you a little bit more today than we did yesterday. And I'm most grateful. Regardless of what I've got to say, God, I pray that um, your words are the ones that come out. And the words that need to be heard are the ones that are heard, regardless. I thank you so much for Jesus. And it's his glorious, precious name that I pray. Amen. Good morning. Come on, class. You can do better. Good morning. Very nice. I feel like romper room, but y'all are too young to know what romper room is. Um, I am thrilled beyond measure to be here. Um, some of you know that uh, I had to go serve Jesus in London for four months. Um, somebody had to do it. Uh, uh, and it was spectacular. I had a marvelous time, but I love America. So I'm so happy to be home. And uh, I love this church. And I missed hearing Robert, and I miss seeing you, and I miss getting hugs. So I'm thrilled to be back. Um, what I want to talk to you about today, um, and like I've told you, a lot of times when I talk, you get to hear me talk to myself, and you're just kind of listening. So I'm sorry about that. For me to decide to go to London was a real big deal for me. Um, it was. It sounds glamorous, and it, it, there was some glamour in there, I guess. But um, for me, it was an act of faith, uh, because one of the emotions that I struggle with a good bit in my life is fear. I'm scared of a lot of things, and uh, so for me, that was an act of obedience in the face of fear. Um, I've struggled with fear my whole life. It started when I was a child. I know that you people think that vampires are really hot and cool, but they're not. Um, when I was a little girl, it was Barnabas Collins, and he was terrifying. Um, and I was terrified as a child of vampires. And so when I would go to bed at night, you have to understand, um, I'm old, and my house wasn't air-conditioned when I was little. And so um, when I would go to bed, you know, 99 degrees in the house in the summer, I would have to have in my own mind, the sheet would be like up on my neck because, you know, I didn't want to get bitten in the night. Now, there are lots of things wrong with that logic. Okay, first of all, could he pull it down? Okay, you with me? Secondly, all that thrashing in the night, you know, that was gone in 15 minutes. But in my mind, protection, protection. And so I told somebody that, and I feel a little better about myself because um, I told a girl that one time that was my age, and she goes, oh, me too. And she goes, in our house, we had one big cross. And my sister and I shared it. So every other night when you lay down, you put the cross on your neck. And she said, this is the part that's so funny to me. She goes, and the person who didn't get the cross got the cat. They laid the cat across their neck. So, you know, whatever works, whatever works. Um, so I have struggled with fear my whole life. And to be honest, when I look around the world sometimes now, there's kind of a lot to be afraid of. Um... I know what I think when I hear the word fear, so you know me, I love a word, so I looked it up in the dictionary, and their definition of fear was a painful, which I appreciated that adjective, agitation, in the presence 
or anticipation of real or imagined danger. And there were a lot of synonyms. Worry, stress, fret, dread, afraid. And a lot of people in this room have, have reasons to be stressed or worried or fretting. In the few weeks I've been back, I've had to bury friends. And I miss them terribly. I've got a friend that's in the middle of chemo treatments for cancer. I've got another one that's about to have surgery on her elbow. I've got friends that are addicts and friends that are married to addicts and friends that have children that are addicts. I've got people that I love that have lost relationships. You know, they thought that was the one. And he or she wasn't. And now they feel so alone. I've got people that just got married and they're afraid they're not going to do it right. And I've got some that just got divorced. And how do you unhook? And how do you live as half when you've always lived as a, as a couple? And so it is, it is scary. Children, you know, when you have children, you just think of a thousand things that can go wrong. Why do, you never th- why do we never think of what can go right? And I know it sounds cliche when I say don't worry and don't be afraid. But this is a scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, that has become um, just a real important scripture for me. Look what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And sometimes I need to be reminded that there really is a plan. And God has written it. There's an overarching plan and there's a plan for you individually and there's a plan for me that fits into that overarching plan. And sometimes I I wonder, is there really a plan? And, you know, where's plan B? Because plan A is not really working for me. But that scripture was written to the Israelites as they entered slavery. They were about to enter captivity. And God was telling them, it's going to last 70 years. 70 years is a long time. So he wrote that to a people that also were afraid. He wrote that to a people whose life wasn't exactly what they thought it was going to be. And so I take great hope in that. Now... Let me make sure I understand when I say hope. <clears throat> hope isn't like wish. Wish, if you look it up, or wish basically means it's a want. It's a desire. You know, I wish I could lose 10 pounds and eat, you know, donuts. You see what I'm saying? I really do wish that, by the way. And if I ever get three wishes, that's one of them. I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm wasting it. Cancer, no. Donuts and skinny, yes. So I'm warning you. But hope's different. Even if you look hope up in the dictionary, which is not Christian, it says expectation. Hope is expectation. It's something that's going to happen. It's a certainty. And that's what that scripture says. God has plans for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope, not a wish and a future.
You know, the scripture, I like Psalm 33, 20. It says, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is, not can be, may be, should be. He is our helper and our shield. Here's kind of my image of hope. Hope is a child on Christmas Eve. It's coming. It's coming. Not, gosh, I wish. I know. And that's the way we're supposed to live. Christmas Eve. Christmas is coming. Now, one of my favorite books, which probably says a lot about me, is a Dr. Seuss book. I love me some Dr. Seuss. And it's The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. And for a lot of us, that's the way we feel. It may be Christmas Eve, but the Grinch has stolen Christmas. And you know the story. The Grinch goes down in Whoville to steal Christmas, and he steals it all, every little crumb. And then this is where the story picks up. 3,000 feet up the side of Mount Crumpet, he rode with his load to the tip-top to dump it. Poo-poo to the who, he was grinchously humming. They're finding out now that no Christmas is coming. They're just waking up. I know what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two, and then the who down in Whoville will cry, boo-hoo-hoo. That's a noise, grinned the Grinch, that I simply must hear. So he paused, and the Grinch put a hand to his ear. And he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started out low, but it started to grow. But the sound wasn't sad. Why, this sound sounded merry. It couldn't be so, but it was merry, very. He stared down in Whoville. The Grinch popped his eyes, and then he shook. What he saw was a shocking surprise. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. He puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. And then the Grinch thought of something that he hadn't before. What if Christmas doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas, perhaps, is a little bit more? The cross and the resurrection have already happened. Christmas has already come, and there's nothing that Satan or the Grinch can do. Seems like it, though. He can send somebody in a church to kill people. And it's horrible, and it's shocking, and it scares me. And last Sunday morning, the doors of Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church opened. And these were the first words that were spoken 
by the Reverend Goff. Their minister was dead. So in their place, here's what he said. The doors of the church are open. No evildoer, no demon in hell or on earth can close the door of God's church. And they can't. Now there's a word that, um, that we banter about in education all the time. So, you know, I love a word. It's called paradigm. And paradigm basically are the glasses that you put on to view the world. And the glasses that we put on to view the world are Jeremiah 29, 11. God is a good God. And he has a good plan. I read this quote the other day. And here's what it says I need to be reminded of. Your circumstances are not a barometer of God's faithfulness. They're not. We tend to make them that way, though. Maybe you don't, I do. You know, if I pray for healing and my friend or my husband or my child gets healed, then I'm so, and I am thankful. But what if they don't? God's still faithful. You know, you pray for your marriage and do everything and it still crumbles. God's still faithful. You know, your child is hurt. Your child gets teased. God's still faithful. It's not that he doesn't care. It's just my circumstances are not a barometer of his faithfulness. There's another saying that I read a lot. I have it written down so I can look at it. Here's what it says. The same boiling water that hardens eggs softens potatoes. the same circumstances boiling water yet it hardens one and softens another Satan loves it he loves it so much when our circumstances harden us and he doesn't like it when it softens us because when the people of God act Like the people of God, he always loses. Satan always loses. And so there are times in our life when Christmas does come with presents, and it's my favorite. And there's times when there's not any presents. But God inhabits the praise of his people. And we're called to stand in a circle, all colors, all races, both genders and sing regardless of the circumstances now before I went to London my daughter told me something that I took with me and here's what she told me we were in the car and I was unhappy because I was in traffic I was very unhappy by the way and I was let's just say grumbling there's probably a better word but let's just go with grumbling shall we Jackson. I must have said Jackson in a negatory sense like 75 times as I'm sitting stuck in traffic on Christmas Eve. And Kelly pipes up next to me and she goes, Hey, Mama, you know what the difference between an adventure and an ordeal is? I said, No. She looks at me and she kind of smirks and she goes, 
attitude. <laughs> She's still alive, only because I couldn't reach her. <laughs> but it's true. It's absolutely the truth. So when I went to London, I decided before I went, I'm going to have an adventure. And Jesus and I had a lot of adventures. But before I might have called him ordeals, that same boiling water. One of my favorite scriptures is Roman 8:28. It's one of the first scriptures I ever memorized. And it says, "All things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to His purpose." It doesn't say all things are good. And there's a difference. It means they work for good. That is a miracle. That's the miracle. Not only can I just really mess up, Satan himself can purposefully set out to do evil. Send a person in a church. And somehow, God can turn a horrible thing into something beautiful. Want to start a race war? Don't you know it would just anger him greatly if it made us love each other more? Thwarted. You know, a lot of times I go to God and I go, why, why, why? Why did you do this? Or why didn't you do that? Or why? I'm a big why. And I'm, there's nothing wrong with asking why. And occasionally he'll give me an answer, but here's mostly what I found out in my life. God doesn't do justification. He does redemption. Because redemption is really what I'm after. I just don't know it. You know, when a child has a treasure that's broken, whether it's something that you think's treasuring or not, and it gets broken and they go to you, they don't want you to explain to them why they should have been more careful, why they shouldn't take that picture of the tiger to school. They don't want to know. They don't want, they don't want to know how to do it better next time. They just want you to fix it. So Jesus knows when we're coming to him, we're going, why, why, why? That's not the real thing. What we're saying is fix it. But the problem is, when we say fix it, we mean restore it. Give it to me the way that it was. And a lot of times that's not what he does in my life. Instead, he takes that broken thing and he makes it into something new. Something better. But I have to turn it over. This is kind of my theory of life, broken down. Cookie dough versus biscuit dough. Cookie dough is always delicious. When you first mix it up, it's delicious. Just give me a spoon. Forget the oven, just hand me a spoon. My daughter and her friends in college used to make cookie loaf. Okay, let me tell you what they did. They'd go to Kroger somewhere and get like a dough of cookie dough. They would put it in the oven and cook it halfway. And pull it out and get some spoons. Half, half cooked cookie dough, delicious. Fully cooked cookies, it's always good. And when my kids were little, don't judge me, we ate raw cookie dough, I know, but they're still alive. Okay? Some things in life are just cookie dough. 
They're good before they happen, while they're happening, and later. When you look back on them, they're just good. Some are biscuit dough. When my son was little, he was so I'm, I, He must have been three. I was mixing up some biscuit dough on the counter, and Michael got on the, he took on his chip on the stool and went to the counter, and before I could stop him, he took the spoon, took a big old bite. And then the, you know, he was looking at me like, what have you done? And I said, baby, that's not cookie dough. Because it looked like cookie dough. It was biscuit dough. He thought it was horrible. And so I tried to explain to him about a biscuit. You should try to explain to somebody in England about a biscuit, by the way. So it's like a scone, but it's fluffy and delicious. That biscuit dough is bad. But once it's cooked, it is fluffy and delicious. And that's the way a lot of things in my life have been. While they've happened, they were bad. They just were. Later, though, God took them and made something fluffy and delicious. And if it's not good yet, it's not done. God's still processing. It's still baking. But it's one or the other. Cookie dough or biscuit dough. Now, the way God redeems in my life is always different. Sometimes... The way he redeems it, especially my mistakes, it's simply by telling my story. My past doesn't become someone else's future. That's a miracle. Sometimes he gives you what you really want, but you didn't even know what you wanted. When my son was in college, he applied after his freshman year to stay in the dorm his sophomore year. Because it was just so easy. When you're an art major, you're, you know, you're in the art department until the middle of the morning. You know, you're just there the whole time. You all sort of just move in. And so the thought of coming back from campus and forth just, and he didn't, he didn't get the dorm. If he lied, he'd have gotten it, but he told the truth. He was really upset. You know, if he was upset, I was upset. I'm not codependent or anything. So. He was so mad. But you know the weirdest thing? He had to get an apartment. And next door, there was the cutest girl. She was so cute. And now she's got his last name. See, Jesus knew you didn't really want a dorm. You wanted a hot wife. You with her? <laughs> Sometimes God just makes me more like him. And I would love it if he just went, bada-bing. It's not the way. Maybe he does that for you. It's just in me. It's way more like working out. I don't enjoy it. But he develops things in me that I need. There's a quote by Corey Ten Boom that I love. And here's what it says. Every experience God gives us, every person he puts in our lives, is the perfect preparation for a future that only he can see. Yeah, maybe they're just turning as a warning. Do you see what I'm saying? But I mean, everything. He uses everything. He knows what character traits I'm going to need. He knows what experiences I'm going to need to have. He knows who, he, who I'm going to meet that I need to talk to or comfort or be comforted by. 
He uses it all. To me, that's a way bigger miracle than everything just being good. You know, I was filling out an inventory um, this week, and it wasn't a Christian inventory. And it was supposed to help you kind of find your defects of character. I have a lot, by the way. And it was like a continuum. There'd be like a weakness over here and a strength on the other side. And they were so, they were predictable. I mean, there was selfish and there was selfless and there was prideful and there was humble. But the one that made me just go, oh my gosh, was fear. I told you I struggle with fear a lot. And that's one of my defects of character. I tend to be scared. So I'm looking over here and I'm expected to see other words over here. It didn't say brave. Because, you know, brave, if you're, if you're not scared, there's no reason to be brave. Brave is acting in spite of your fear. So I wasn't expecting brave. But you know what was on the other side? Love. Love. Not trust. Love. You know, 1 John four eighteen. There's another one of my favorite scriptures. Where God's love is, there is no fear because God's love drives out fear. That's what drives out fear. I knew it the whole time, I just didn't know that I knew it. Knowing that I'm loved and loving people, that's what drives out fear. When we act like the people of God, when we're loved, when we really believe that God is good and there's a plan, what we all want to do is matter. That's really what we want. And remember, God is giving us what we really want in spite of what we ask for. I have a friend named Raina Raglan Bryant. I love Raina. She is so fun. She got a whole, her whole family's fun. But when I was in London one day, I was scrolling through Facebook trying to see what was happening on this side of the pond. It was one of those days where I'm walking through the sleet and you people get off. You know what I'm saying? Like, MC closed twice. That's never been there 25 years. Never happened. I wasn't bitter or anything. Now, it was one of those days and Raina got up, grown woman, got kids, sleeting outside. And Raina said, now understand, my garbage has been picked up every day on Wednesdays for 20 years. But that day she had a thought. Those men that were going to come collect the garbage, it was cold and it was sleeting. So Jesus gave Raina an idea. She goes in the kitchen. She starts frying up Henrietta specials. Now, in the Bryant household... That's a fried egg between two delicious slices of toast. She fried up bacon. She cut up strawberries. And this is the picture she put on Facebook. She had styrofoam plates. It may not be there. Here's what she had written on the top of the plates. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And she had three of them. She said she felt like a kid on Christmas morning. She's sitting on the stairs waiting on him. The truck comes around. 
She'd brewed up coffee, put those in those to-go cups. Here comes Rain with her tray and the sleet. And here come the garbage collectors. And they stopped, and there stands Raina. It made me so happy, I cried. Those men got out of that truck. She said they just looked at her. And she said, the older guy driving, she said, he wept. And he said, that's the nicest thing anybody's ever done for me. I can fry an egg. We think it has to be giant, big things. And sometimes it does. But sometimes it's just frying an egg. And telling somebody, I see you. And they feel a little less afraid, and I feel a little less afraid. We can do this. You know, it's been, for some people, a different kind of week. Shootings, you've got Supreme Court decisions, you've got all kinds of things. Some people are excited about some of the Supreme Court decisions, some are horrified by it. Regardless of which side you fall on, God is God. When the people of God act like the people of God, eternal things change. And I can't get that shooting out of my mind. And I know people come down on all sides of things about a flag. But something that causes someone else pain, I don't want it. I don't want it. And for every African American in here, I'm so heartily sorry. I am so sorry. I'm going to stand and sing around Jesus. And whatever it takes for him to be glorified, that's what I want to do. That makes me a little less scared. It just does. And I've heard the word Christian nation bantered around a lot. But one of the reasons I love college students is they're real honest. And one of the first things they'll tell you, my kids will tell you, is Christian isn't an adjective, it's a noun. It's a people. It's a people. And when I say I want this nation to be Christian, what do I really mean by that? Do I want it full of Christians? Well, yeah, I do. But then I think, well, why do I want that? Is it just to make me feel better because I'm in the majority? Or is it because then I know that those people know Jesus and they have eternity with him? And so if it's something that makes me uncomfortable and it brings them closer to Jesus, I'm still okay with that. Let me read you this quote and then I'm going to end with a story. 
when I got to London, um, I told you I was scared. I really am always scared of getting lost because I really don't have a sense of direction. I mean, I'm just telling you, it's bad. And so my first trip on the subway by myself, I get on the subway. And this was what was written on a government advertisement on the subway. And it's entitled, No One. No one should have no one. No one to say good morning to. No one to bless you when you sneeze. No one to take tea with, or whiskey for that matter. No one on the end of the phone. No one to share anything with, a cake, a laugh, a problem. No one to make one day any different from the last. No one to turn to. No one but no one should have no one. And I get the privilege of telling everybody that you have someone. There just isn't anything better than that. There is no present. You know, I've told this story before, but it's still my favorite story, so I'm going to end with it. Tony Campolo is one of my favorite um, authors. I don't always agree with Tony Campolo, but he always makes me think. He told a story about being in Hawaii. Once again, you've got to serve Jesus somewhere, I guess. He lives on the East Coast, but he was in Hawaii, and he said it was, the, you know, he, his time change was just all out of whack. And so he went, and uh, he found himself awake in the middle of the night, basically. It's like two in the morning. And so he goes in a diner in Honolulu. And he's in there, and he said it looked rough, but there wasn't anything else open. And he said he was sitting there eating sort of a donut. He wasn't sure how long that donut had been in that little case and drinking some coffee. And he said all of a sudden, a whole group of women of the evening came in. They had just finished working. And he said, the place, unbelievably, he said, I don't know what, must have been the only diner in Honolulu open at two in the morning because it was packed. And he said, all those hookers came and he was sitting on a stool at the counter and they like joined him. So there's Tony Campolo, women of the evening here, women of the evening there, women of the evening everywhere. And he said he heard, he just kind of tried to keep his head down. He said, but he couldn't help but hear their conversation. And he said, one of them said, in the middle of it, that tomorrow, did you know tomorrow's my birthday? And she said, one of the girl, or the girl said, well, what you telling me that for? You think I care? And this girl said, no, 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 no. I just, I just, I don't know why I said it. I just forget it. And they went on and kept talking. And a little while later, they left. And Tony Capolo said, he had an idea. I think Jesus had the idea. He leaned across the counter and he asked the guy that was working the diner. And he said, you know those women that were in here? And he said, yeah. And he said, do you know the one that was sitting right next to me? Do you know what her name was? And he said, the guy kind of looked at him funny. And he said, why? And he said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not wishing them harm or anything. He said, I just heard her say that tomorrow's her birthday. And I thought it'd be really cool if we threw her a party. He said, the guy looked at him. He said, her name's Agnes. 
And he said, look, I want to come in here. He said, did they come in here every night or just some night? He said, no, they come in here every night at the same time when they finish working. And he said, okay. He said, well, Tony Capolo said, well, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to, he said, I'm going to decorate the diner. I'll bring a cake. You don't have to do anything. Just like let people know. And he said, the guy that owned the diner said, no, Agnes is a sweet girl. And he said, we'll take care of the cake. And he said, and we'll spread the word. So the next night, about one in the morning, here comes Tony Campolo, Baptist minister, sociology professor. And he's got balloons and streamers and banners and posters. And he starts decorating the diner. And he said, word had gotten out because every hooker, homeless person, drug dealer, he said, they were all there. The diner was crowded. And he said, sure enough, about 2 o'clock, here the women come in. He's got them ready. Okay. So it's when, the, when the door comes open, he said, everybody shouts, happy birthday, Agnes. And he said, those women just froze. And he said, what do you do? And he said, the guy that on the night said, look, Agnes, we got you a cake. And he brought Agnes over there and he shoved, turned a big old sheet cake. Happy birthday, Agnes. And she just looks. And he said, she's not saying anything. She's not looking excited. He said, it's just, she just looks at the cake and looks up. And Tony Capolo's looking at her. He didn't know him. And she looks up at the guy that owns the diner and she goes, I've never had a cake before. And he starts, you know, he goes, well, you got one now. And she goes, I've never had a party. This is my party. And he goes, yeah. And she goes, look, can I take this cake and show it to my mama? She just lives down the road. And the guy goes, is your cake? Tony Capolo said she reached down and she scooped that cake up like it was the Holy Grail. And she walked out of the diner with her cake to go show her mama. Of course, you know, all I can think is your mama that didn't give you a party. And Tony Capolo said, talk about awkward silence. There's just dead silence. And he said, I did what any good minister does. I said, let's pray. And so he did. He thanked Jesus for Agnes and the beautiful woman that he had made her and the sweet spirit that she had. And he thanked her for all the people in the room that had come to make her feel special. And he thanked God for the way that he made them. He just thanked God so much for so many things. And when he finished and said amen, he looked up, and there was still just dead silence. And he said, the guy that owned the diner looked at him and said, you didn't tell me you's no preacher. And then he said, what kind of church you go to anyway? And Tony Capolo said, I go to a church that throws birthday parties for hookers at 2 in the morning. And the guy said, no, you don't. Ain't no such church. 
Because if there was, I'd go do it. I want us to be that church. I want to be that church. I want to be less afraid and more loving. There's a plan, and it's good. And everything that happens, he uses for his glory. And he uses for your good. And we're going to sing his praise with presence or without. Because when the people of God act like the people of God, eternal 